Lord Jesus, you are worthy of all of our praise, all of our worship. Everything we are, Lord, it belongs to you. The air that's going into our lungs, it's your air. Thank you for that air. Your spirit dwelling inside of us, that's your spirit. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for life and the ability to serve you. Lord, we love you and praise you. For it's in the mighty, wonderful, victorious, beautiful, eternal, everlasting name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who's seated at your right hand in glory, we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Please turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We're looking at verses 33 through 50. And the, uh, the title of my message this morning is Words Matter. Let me repeat that. Words matter. Words are a good litmus test of what's on the inside. Whatever's on the inside, it comes out. So Matthew chapter 12 Let's read the first uh, four or five verses so we get our minds oriented in the direction that God's word is taking us this morning. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasures what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Lord, thank you for your word as we look at these verses this morning and the verses beyond this. I pray, God, that you open our hearts, fill us more with your word, with your spirit, and let us be completely surrendered to you in everything we say and do, including the words that come out of our mouth. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Amen. So the title of my message is Words Matter. The, The Bible says a lot about the words that come out of your mouth. Do you know that? The Bible talks a lot about the words that come out of our mouth. The words that come out of our mouth, they reveal the condition of our heart. Now, this past week, me and Irene went down to Florida, down to Merritt Island, and we had an awesome time at the Southeast Pastors Conference with Pastor Malcolm Wild and about a thousand other pastors and leaders, and it was just a beautiful time. But we got going down 95 and coming back up, me and Irene had a lot of time to talk, a lot of time to share. I love those times with my wife on the road, just sharing thoughts with her. So I was telling her about my message I said, honey, I said, I'm a, the title of my message is going to be Words Matter. And so Irene shared with me when she was growing up, there was a family, there was a Christian family that her family was friends with, that there was a little boy in the family. He got so mad with his father one day, he wanted to cuss him out. He wanted to let him have it. The only problem was he didn't know any curse words. He didn't know any curse words to use. And so he got so mad with his father that he went to his father in the living room and stomped in there really upset. And he looks at his dad and he goes, cuss, 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 (laughs) cuss. His dad still whooped him afterwards. (laughs) But 
those words uh, represented what was in the little boy's heart. My great-grandmother was Sally Mae Baker. She was a sweet lady that everybody loved. And she loved to dip tobacco. Everywhere she went, she carried around her mason jar. And throughout the day, she would fill up that jar with a concoction of saliva and tobacco juice. It was not a pretty sight. Her son, my grandfather, Oscar Baker, could not stand the sight of that mason jar. It turned his stomach inside out, and he did not like it. Finally, one day, he had enough. He had enough, and he said to, he said to, his, he said to his mom, Mama, you need to quit that nasty stuff. It is a sin against God. My great-grandmother, Sally, his mother, responded with Matthew 15, 11, where Jesus said, It's not what goes in the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out that defiles them. My grandpa said, fine, every time you spit in that jar, it comes out. <laughs> but the point of the story is, the point of the illustrations is, what's on the inside will come out. What's on the inside of us will come out. The Bible teaches that the words that come out of your mouth, whether they're good or evil, reveal the true spiritual condition of your heart. They reveal the true spiritual condition of my heart. You can learn a lot about a person just by being around them for a couple days and listening to their vocabulary and listening to their language. Christ is on the inside of us. The Spirit of God is dwelling on the inside of us. And the Spirit of God uh, produces godly language, produces language that builds people up, that lifts them up. Whereas if it's just the flesh and the carnal world living inside of us, it produces rot. And it produces language that tears people down and things that are ungodly. So with that said, let's look at Matthew chapter 12, verse, starting at verse 33. Jesus says this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Jesus says here, you will know a person by their fruit. Fruit is the way a person lives their life. So he's starting at the surface level and he's going to work his way to inside of the person. But a good tree with good fruit is someone someone who has been born again and the Holy Spirit is producing fruit. This fruit is talked about in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and 23 where it says the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is a good tree with good fruit. But Jesus also mentions here that there's, there's a, a, a bad tree with bad fruit. And this is the person that is not born again. And they're following their sinful desires. And again, their characteristics can also be found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, where it talks about their life is filled with sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, Witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, and factions. The question I ask you this morning, based on verse 33, are you a good tree or a bad tree? Are you a good tree or a bad tree? What does, what does the, better yet, what does the fruit of your life speak of who you are? If you are a good tree, 
stay the course and continue to serve Christ. If you are a bad tree, do what Jesus says here. Make the tree good. If you're a bad tree, give your life to Jesus and he will come into your life by his spirit and he will turn you into a good tree with the fruits of the spirit. You know, we think about a tree. A tree grows fruits. It produces produces fruit. And the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of us produces godly fruit. And that's what a good tree is. But again, you know people by the fruit of their life. We can't separate our faith from the way we live our life. They go hand in hand. What happens on the inside manifests itself in the way we live. Verse 34, he says, speaking to the Pharisees, he says, You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So here in verse 34, Jesus ties the words that come out of your mouth to the condition of your heart. Okay? They're locked in together. They reflect each other. Some people think they can separate their words from their faith. Jesus says you cannot. He says the words that come out of your mouth reflect what's in your heart. This past week at the pastor's conference, John Miller spoke from Revival Christian Fellowship, Calvary Chapel in California. And he said this, and it stuck out to me. He said, if it is in the well, it will come up in the bucket. If it is in the well, it will come up in the bucket. What, and I can't judge you, you can't judge me, you can only judge yourself, what is in the well of your soul? Is it this world, or is it Christ? Because they produce two totally opposite, different lifestyles. If your heart is filled with sin and darkness, it will come up in the bucket of your words. It will come out in the words you speak. If your heart is filled with the Lord Jesus Christ, that which is in the well will come up in light and truth. I will never forget when I became a Christian, my language changing. My heart, my heart, my life changing. The, the words I used to speak and the, the hatred and the anger and the vitriol I used to speak, I didn't want to do it no more. I didn't want to do it no more, not because I was reforming myself, but because Christ was living on the inside. And I want to build people up. I want to help people. I want to help people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ with my words. I even want my words that I use in everyday life, at work and home and in the family, to to minister God's grace and God's truth to people. You know, family, that's part of being a light. Part of being a light and part of being a witness is not only sharing the gospel with people that, that they need to receive Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they need to repent of their sins, they need to put their trust in the Savior, but also in the everyday language, people should see a picture of Christ in us because he's dwelling on the inside and it's coming up in the way we live and in the language we use for each other. Let's continue, verse 35. He, Jesus says, The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. So here in verse 35, the good treasure is a good heart. The evil treasure is what? An evil heart. A good heart, the good treasure, the good heart comes from believing in Jesus. It comes from filling your heart with God's word. It comes from yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit. That's how we have that good heart. There's nothing good in and of ourselves, 
but it's Christ and his goodness dwelling inside of us. And on the flip side of that, verse 35, the, uh, the evil heart, the very end of out of his evil treasure, excuse me, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. The treasure is a picture of the heart here. So the evil heart um, comes from following the world. It comes from following after our sinful desires. Uh, when you live this way, you are not pleasing to God. Because Christ came to set us free. Christ came to sever our relationship with the world and with the sinful world. A divorce takes place when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You divorce yourself from the world and you're, you're, you're united with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the beautiful picture. And he produces a good heart inside of us. A heart filled with his word, filled with his spirit, going out and shining the light and the glory of the Lord God Almighty in our community, in and around us. Verse 36, he says, But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it on the day of judgment. You know, we need to pause here and think about this for a minute. You know, these are serious words, man. These are the word, all the word of, the whole entire word of God is serious, serious. But Jesus says here that God is going to hold you and I accountable. He's going to hold us accountable for every word we speak. That should be sobering. That should cause us to think before we speak. That should cause us to um, use our words carefully. Our, our goal and our passion and our desire is to use our words to glorify and honor Christ. Have you ever heard someone say, and I've heard this a lot, I've heard people say, I have no filter when it comes to my lips. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I'm just going to speak my mind. Or how about this one? I'm going to let them have it when I see them. Okay, there's an element where we're called to speak the truth but in general, when people say these words, they say it from a place of, of vitriol and, and, and anger. And honestly, these are foolish statements. Biblically speaking, these are, these are foolish statements. Proverbs 15, 28 says this. The heart of the righteous, that's you and I, Christian, weighs its answers. In other words, we think before we speak. We, we weigh our words carefully, knowing that once those words go out, you can't reel them back in. They, they've done their work, good or bad. Proverbs 15, 28, the, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Christians don't just speak their mind, and they do have a filter. It's called self-control, and it's called the Holy Spirit. What I'm saying, friends and family, is we need to weigh our words carefully as we speak the truth don't compromise on biblical values, but we speak the truth in love. We weigh our words carefully. The world, on the other hand, Proverbs 15, 28, uh, they just let it gush out. They just let it gush out their mouth. No filter, foul language, and that has no place in the life of the believer. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is dwelling on the inside, and the Holy Spirit is producing fruit. And included in that fruit is the language of that comes out of our mouth. A common question I get is, what does the Bible say about cussing? Pastor David, is it okay for Christians to cuss? 
is, is, is cussing is sin, I would respond with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 and 30, where it says, where Paul says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. So our words that come out of our mouth should be for correction, for training, and for building people up. And correcting error, but doing it in a spirit of love. Saying, hey, that's wrong, but this is the right way to do it. This is what scripture says. And then according to their needs, help meeting people's needs, helping them, that it may benefit those who listen. Our, our words that come out of our mouth should benefit people. Whether it's a correction or rebuke or a word of encouragement, the ultimate goal in our words is to help people. You know, that's what we're here. I remember when I got ordained at Calvary Chapel Lexington, and Pastor John was telling me all the stories about ministry and, and the difficulties of, of preaching week in and week out and, and ministering the body. And David says, uh, Pastor John told me, he says, man, just remember this. As I'll sit in his desk, he says, we're here to help people. We're here to help people follow Jesus. And I was like, wow, that helps me relax when I preach. That helps me relax when I teach. That helps me relax whenever I'm, I'm ministering or talking to someone. Because I think to myself, man, I just want to help you find Christ. I just want to help you find Jesus. I, I, that's my goal in getting up here this morning and, and writing out these notes and making all this stuff in my sermon. Is I just want to help each of you guys follow Jesus. That, that, that is my goal. That is my heart. And I hope that my words as the pastor of this church, uh, when you leave here and you're driving home and you're thinking about the sermon, is, is he's helping me follow Jesus. If, if I help you follow Jesus with the words and my message and my teaching, man, mission accomplished. I'm going to go home and sleep like a baby tonight. Um, it's interesting, going back to my question, what does the Bible say about cussing? I talked about Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, where it says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But what's interesting is when you study that verse in context, the very next verse, Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verse 30, he says, this is interesting, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. With Paul, God, the Holy Spirit, put in this verse, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, right next to verse 29, no unwholesome talk, that tells me that when we use foul language and unwholesome talk, it grieves the spirit when we curse, when we say things that are inappropriate. So we need to family honor the Lord with our lips. And I don't know about you, but I've got area to improve in my life with my language. And I imagine in the day and age we're living in, you also are probably thinking, yep, I need, I need to tighten up on the tongue. You know, and by God's grace... And by God's Holy Spirit, we can do that. We can do that by daily praying, Lord, let me honor you today with the words that I speak. Let me honor you today with how I interact with people. Let my words glorify and honor you. Let the words of my lips point people to Christ. That is where I'm going. I didn't say I've arrived there. I'm working on it. I'm moving in that direction. But I hope, I hope it's your goal too. 
Let our words honor and glorify the Lord. Verse 37, Jesus says, By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now Jesus is not saying a person's salvation is determined exclusively by the words that come out of their mouth. What he's saying here is the words and the vocabulary that come out of your mouth reveal the true spiritual condition of your heart. It's a litmus test. It's a, it's a gauge. It's like an x-ray machine. You know, you go to the doctor and, and you, you get chest x-rays to see what's going on in the inside. Well, your words are like an x-ray. They tell us what's going on on the inside. And a true servant of God will honor God with their words that come out of their mouth. The world, on the other hand, just lets it rip. And what they're doing is they're revealing their unbridled heart. So it starts in the heart. You got to be careful. You don't want to get into being reformed in the, in the essence of changing your life without the Spirit of God changing your life. You need to submit yourself to the Lord. You need to fill your heart and mind with the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit change your language to that which builds up and edifies people. So verse 38, verse 38, continue verse 38. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. <laughs> uh, but he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So here, the sign-seeking Pharisees want a sign. They want evidence. It, as if they hadn't already seen everything so far. They hadn't seen all the miracles. They haven't seen all the healings. They hadn't seen everything he did. Uh, they wanted a sign, but really they didn't. They were just trying to trip Jesus up. Jesus said, no sign would be given except the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? The sign of Jonah would be Jesus' future death, burial, and resurrection. That is the one icon of Christianity. That is the image we have in our hearts and our minds of the essence of what Christianity is, is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And if you know his death, burial, and resurrection, you know everything there is to know about, everything that you need to know about the Lord, because it's there is where our salvation is. The world... Our world today likes to ask God for a sign that he is real. You know, one of those aha moments. It could be wind blowing through the trees. It could be a white dove flying by. Or it could be winning the lottery. But people look for signs. People look for signs. Friends, these are weak foundations for faith in God. And to be honest, they're, they're really no foundation for faith in God. The ultimate incomplete and final sign, sign that God has given this world is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Are you looking for a sign from God today? Look no further than the cross. Look to Calvary. Look by faith through the pages of Scripture to the cross. And that is the ultimate and final sign of how God has spoken to this world in the natural tangible way was through the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ through his death 
through his burial and through his resurrection. That is our sign. That is the one anchor. You know, we have that symbol today, you know, Arlington Cemetery. You have uh, the, the stone headstones with all the crosses out there. You have uh, the sign of the cross. It is a universal symbol around planet Earth of Jesus Christ, of the Lord Jesus Christ crucified. Uh, the crucifixion was invented by the Persians. It was perfected by the Romans. It was meant to inflict the, the nastiest, harshest pain that could possibly be inflicted. And our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, went through that sign. He went to that cross and bore the wrath of God for our sin, shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. What greater sign can we ask for? What, what about a dove or, or, or the wind blowing through the trees or something supernatural happening? You know, I, I believe there are signs and wonders. I believe God can manifest himself in, in different ways and show him and reveal himself through nature, through creation, through the world around us. But the ultimate sign, the final sign that we anchor our faith to is the cross. What was um, Isaac Watts? uh, When I survey the wondrous cross, there on which the Prince of Glory died, just look to the cross. That is his sign to us. Let's continue. Verse 41. Yeah, verse 41. Jesus says, The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Here in verses 41 through 42, Christ is speaking judgment on the Pharisees for their rejection of him. On judgment day, God will call the Ninevites and the queen of Sheba as witnesses against them. Keep in mind, the Ninevites and the queen of Sheba were what? They were Gentiles. They they were the the Assyrians. You know, the, the Ninevites heard the preaching of Jonah. And what did they do? They turned to the Lord. The queen of Sheba heard God's wisdom from Solomon. And what did she do? She received it. They both, the Ninevites and the queen of Sheba, both of them responded rightly to God. They heard God's word. They accepted God's word. They received God's word. And they believed God's word. The Pharisees did not. That's why the Ninevites and the Queen of Sheba will stand in judgment with these Pharisees and will condemn them. God will be like, they responded rightly. You did not. Today, when the ungodly today or in the future, when the ungodly world stands before God on judgment day, I believe they will be reminded of every time they heard the gospel, but they did not respond. I believe They will be reminded of every time they heard of God's wisdom, but they did not see their need for it. They shucked it off. They they walked away from it. It's a very dangerous place to be, to hear God's word 
to know what God's Word says and then to walk away from it. Friends, that's a very, very foolish place to be. You know, when you read God's Word, when you hear God's Word, coming from the Bible, it is God speaking to us. Psalms chapter 95, verse 7 and 8 says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. When you hear the voice of God in Scripture, when you hear His Word taught, don't harden your heart, please. Open your heart to God's Word. Let the Holy Spirit come in and change you and transform you. That's what He will do. Don't harden your heart. Soften your heart. Say, Christ, come in. You can even say, Lord, I'm, I'm struggling with this area of my life. You know, God, please open my heart and change my heart. And when you open your heart and you change your heart, He will come in and He will make the change. You know, we, we live in a world today uh, where everyone is, people are very headstrong. And what we have to do as Christians, we have to pray fervently, pray fervently, and pray more fervently that God will open the eyes of their hearts. And God will open the eyes of our hearts. You know, there's areas in our life where we're hardened and we need softening. We need to ask God to open up our eyes and our heart to his ways. And we have to remember, God's way is always the right way. And if we open our hearts to him, he will transform us and change us. Heed what Scripture says. Listen to what God's Word says. And you'll be transformed. You'll be changed. And you won't fall into the same judgment as these Pharisees here that that Jesus is speaking to. Verse 43. Let's look at verse 43. Now, verse 43 and 45, um, if you're following along in our verse-by-verse study of Matthew, uh, what I just read to you is kind of like a parenthetical. It's like Jesus paused for a moment. And, and, and taught on what we just what we just talked about words that matter and the judgment, but actually verses forty three through forty five pick up where verse twenty nine left off on being set free from demonic possession. So it's a complete shifting of subjects here, starting in verse forty three from verse twenty nine. Verse forty three says, "Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest and does not find it." Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will also be with this evil generation. So Jesus here is picking up on the the subject of deliverance, of, of demonic deliverance. And he says in verse 33, when the, now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, what's he talking about there? He's talking about when somebody is set free from demonic possession or demonic oppression. It says it passes through waterless places. And notice what verse 43 says, seeking rest. See, demons know that their time is limited. They know they only have X number of days to do their dark work, to do their work, their evil work. So what does it do? It says they go and they seek other places. They go throughout the earth, finding people to deceive, finding people to to, to wreck their lives. But verse 44 says, 
Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, I find it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. So a demonic spirit, after a person is delivered from demon possession, the demonic spirit can come back and see what's going on with this person. See if this person has truly committed their life to following Christ. You know, it's very important that, that, that when a person is set free from the dominion of Satan, from darkness, from evil, that they get things right in their life, that they take that void that was in their hearts, that they filled with darkness, and it's important that they fill it with light. They fill it with truth. So after a person is delivered and set free, you know, work's not over. Now it's time for discipleship. Now it's time to fill your heart, to fill your mind with God's word. To, to daily surrender your life to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And to, and to clean house. You know, uh, at the end of verse 44, it says, And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. You know, there's, there's a temptation for... for um, after a person is set free, to just reform themselves. And what I mean by reform is they just get their lives together morally. They, they, they stop doing whatever they were doing, and, and, and they clean up that area of their life. That's just that's called reform. That's just where you, you change the way you're living in your own strength, in your own power. But that's not good enough. What's good enough is, that, is when you reform and you change your ways, you do it through the power of the Holy Spirit and through discipleship, and through the Word of God. We can't just reform ourselves and make our lives better without Christ. It has to be Christ. And then, and then it says that the evil spirit will come back, verse 45. And then it goes and it takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there, and the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. You know, it's very important that um, after a person is set free, that they seek godly counsel, that they seek biblical counseling, that they get ministered to, that they find a brother or sister in Christ who can minister life to them. You know, Jesus is not just a, a quick fix. It's like, you, you know, you go to church, you get set free, and then you go on about, just go on about your life. No, it's about a lifelong commitment of following Christ. It's about being trained and transformed and becoming a disciple and building your life up so that you can protect yourself against the attacks of Satan. We need that, and we get that through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit, through accountability, through uh, counseling, and through ministry to each other and committing yourself to come into church on Sundays, committing yourself to be a part of a, of a Bible study and uh, growing in Christ. We need all those things to keep the devil away. That's what it, that's, this is spiritual warfare. A lot of times, you know, before a person fully comes to Christ, there is some spiritual warfare that where Satan's coming against them. But sometimes after you come to Christ and you get delivered, then the spiritual warfare is even greater because you've been bought with the blood. You're trusting in Christ and Satan wants to tear that down. So that's what he's talking about here. Fill your life in a nutshell. After you've been delivered, after you've been set free, after you've been forgiven, it doesn't stop there. Fill your life with the word of God and with fellowship. 
and daily yielding to him. Let's finish up our final portion here. Verse 46 through 50. Again, Jesus, this is a whole new subject here, a whole little block um, talking about our spiritual family. Verse 46 through 50 says, While he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brother were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brother are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Did you know Jesus, they had, he had brothers and sisters? There was a whole family. This really wrecks, you know, the, the Roman Catholicism doctrine of the perpetual virgin. After Jesus was, she was a virgin, conceived by, the, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But after that, she went on to live a normal life like everyone else. Mary was just like you and I, a human being, a servant of God, used greatly by the Lord. In these final verses here, the theme of verses 46 through 50 that I want to point out to you is this. This is your true spiritual family. This passage teaches us two things. Number one, your relationship with Jesus takes priority over every other relationship, including your own family. Including your own family. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37. He said, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Our relationship with Christ should be number one in our life. That's your top priority in life, is to know Christ, to love him, to believe in him, to trust him, to live for him, and to place him first. Above your spouse, above your children, above your parents, above your very own existence. We're called to love him and place him first. That is a life that is in order. That is a godly life. That is a biblical life. That is the life that the Spirit of God leads us to as we follow him with all of our hearts. We are to place Christ first. The second thing, principle I pull out of verses 46 through 50 is this. The Bible takes the relationship between brother and sister in the human family and applies it to what? The spiritual family of God. The spiritual family of God. You know, we are brothers and sisters. Now, me and Ephraim don't have the same mom and dad, but we have the same heavenly father. We have the same Lord and Savior. And each and every one of us in this room, we have the same heavenly father. We have the same Lord and Savior. And because we're children of God, that makes you and I brothers and sisters. We're in the family of God. Maybe you had no brother or sister relationships growing up. Well, guess what? Now you do. Now you do. Meet your spiritual family and any other believer in Christ. Maybe the relationship you had with your parents was not the best. Maybe there were drugs. Maybe there was alcohol. Maybe there was abuse. I'm very sorry you experienced that. I'm very sorry that that happened in your life. But now, 
I can tell you, you have a perfect heavenly father. You have a perfect heavenly father in God the Father. He loves you. He cares for you. And you are a child of the Most High God. And now, because of your faith in Christ Jesus, you are a member of the family of God that the New Testament calls the body of Christ. That is where we're at today. That is why we can call each other brothers and sisters. Because not physically, but spiritually, we are family. So my prayer this morning is that we understand that words matter. And I don't know about you, but I only preach what God teaches me throughout the week. And and my prayer and my hope is that God helps me to grow in this area of the words that I use. And I hope the same will be said of you. God, help us to control our tongues. Help us to build people up. Help us to correct. Help us to challenge. And help us to use our words that honor and glorify God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, Lord, that words matter. Father, I pray that you would change each and every one of us. Father, help us in the area of the words we use. Let us, Lord, Lord, use our words to honor and glorify you. For we love you and praise you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.